Uh, power within the Christian church. This is sort of a continuation of our conversation about R-E-A-L, a redeemed life, an empowered life, an active life, which uh, Chris Weinch is going to speak about uh, next week. Uh, Chris, I should say, has been in the Ukraine for the last while. I have a feeling he may be on his way home even this weekend, but I'm not sure. Uh, but that's where he is. Uh, he'll probably have some stories to share about the work of God in that area of the world. Uh, but today for the last Sunday, I, I want to talk a bit about being empowered as children of God, being empowered as the church of God. I talked the first two Sundays when I talked about this, about the power of humility uh, that humility actually begins our walk of faith. Humility brings us to God, acknowledges him as God, acknowledges that we are imperfect, sinful people, and that we need to humble ourselves to even begin a Christian walk. And not only is that how we begin our walk, the New Testament would say that our life is to be characterized by humility. That that is how we live, that is how we relate to one another. The Bible, Paul would say, to think of others before yourself. Um, it's a life of servanthood. It's a life of loving one another and walking humbly before our God. We also talked about the power within our life that comes from truly being and experiencing the forgiveness of God. That God is very well aware of our weaknesses. God is not surprised that we as weak people have struggles. Uh, we have struggles with living a pure, honorable, upright life. But God extends forgiveness to us each day through the cross of Jesus Christ. That forgiveness is meant to empower us. We also are called, though, to live lives of confession. That God calls us to confess to one another, confess to God those things that stand in the way of freedom, I would say, of power within our lives. Um, we need to adopt both forgiveness and confession as I would say, disciplines of a Christian life, that they are not optional, they are spiritual disciplines that are meant to be part of the rhythm of my life. We tend to fight against these a little bit. Uh, sometimes we fight against those things pretty significantly. We don't necessarily fight against them outwardly, but we may fight against them inwardly. Um, they seem counterintuitive at times, but these are, I would say, the spiritual disciplines that are part of our DNA as children of God. We are humble people. We are to be people who understand that we need to be willing to forgive. We are people who understand that we may need to come before God in confession. These things characterize us. They should make us, I think, stand out. They should set us apart. They are those things that I think will actually set us free and will give us strength 
And it is the Spirit of God within us who leads us in that direction. Spirit of God leads us to humility. The Spirit of God leads us to confession. The Spirit of God leads us to forgiveness. This morning, I want to add a third component um, that I believe is meant to empower us, and we can leave that screen up there for a while because pretty much it summarizes what I'm going to talk about. To breathe spiritual vitality into our lives, I believe the Bible would say we need the influence of other Christians. In the church, I think many uh, people would say, you know what, I actually experienced that. And it's one of the reasons why church is important to me, because in it, I experience the encouragement of other people walking the same journey. But there are also people in the church who are searching for that, who kind of understand that we talk about who we are in family kind of language, but who probably feel, I wish I could experience that a little more directly. Not just kind of on a Sunday morning gathering, uh, but those who would say, yeah, I kind of wish I was a bit closer to some other children of God within the family of God. And I think there are those within the church who actually intentionally avoid that. That they are quite happy actually to come and go, to not necessarily get involved in the lives of other people, and so they sort of have intentionally maybe stationed themselves at the margins of the church. They might say, well, I'm close enough to sort of identify with the church, but far enough away to actually really be impacted by it or involved in it. I'm kind of a cautious observer from the sidelines. Uh, some people, uh, you know, lately a lot has been written about the church, and maybe there's always been lots written about the church, but talking about the church within a society that seems to be increasingly individualistic, that pretty much, even within the church, you can find lots of us who are too me-focused, uh, where life really is about me, maybe my family, um, but a little bit arm's length when it comes to truly living within the context of family within the church of God. I, I think the mindset of individualism, uh, which is, I think, true, I, I think it's a reality of our culture. Uh, I think the church is not immune from it, but it's a bit of a two-edged sword. Um, Individualism, you might say there's some comfort in that because it's sort of just kind of me and the little group of people that maybe are part of my family. But it's also, I would say, the tyranny of individualism that all of a sudden when you look at your life, you can say, oh my goodness, we are really cut off from way too many people. And there probably are people who would say, you know what, I would actually like to be more engaged with others who share this faith and who walk this journey. Um, 
I think it's difficult to walk the Christian faith in isolation. Uh, people may argue with me. They would say, well, you know, I think I'm doing it. I'm not really part of church, but I still hold on to faith. Uh, I think that's a very difficult, difficult journey. And I think very often individualism can lead to a sense of isolation. Uh, isolation, I think, can lead and breed doubt about the faith that we share. Isolation, I think, can breed skepticism and even cynicism about the church. And I would say the Bible would say to us that we are not meant to live this life of faith apart from other people or apart from his church. Um, if I was to describe God's intention for us throughout the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament context or the New, that we are actually set aside to be his holy nation, or you might say his holy people. In the Old Testament, that really was a description of the nation of Israel. And we know from reading the Old Testament, even if you read parts and bits of it, Israel struggled with that. Israel struggled with being a holy people set apart unto God. They constantly found themselves enticed by the nations around them and the lifestyle that their gods seem to make available for them. The New Testament, this concept of a holy nation, I think that's who we are. That's who we are called to be. We are called to be a holy nation, a holy people. We are still called to be set apart for God. And in the New Testament, this holy nation is the church. The holy nation is not a bunch of individuals seeking to sort of make their way within their own understanding of faith. We are called to be God's people within the context of the church. People who acknowledge God, people who acknowledge and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, people who seek to live pure and honorable lives. We are increasingly, I think, living within a culture, within a world that uh, doesn't even anymore understand the Christian message. Well, many actually don't care about the Christian message, and others are quite happy simply to reject it. And so I think increasingly the church needs to be the church, that we need each other to walk this journey. The Bible says we are to be in the world, but not of it. It is not an easy assignment. It requires, I believe, the love, the encouragement, the prayers of a life lived within the context of the church. Once you get past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we open our New Testament and there they are. For most of my Christian life, I thought they were there because they were written first. They weren't, they were some of the latest writings. Once you get past the Gospels, you start reading the writings of Paul. Most of Paul's 
writings are directly to groups of people. There's a few where he may address Timothy or he may address some other leaders in the church. But when Paul is writing his letters, his goal is always to encourage the church that is gathered. A group of people who say, you know what, we acknowledge God, one true living God, creator of heaven and earth, sustainer of life, that is who we follow. And so Paul's and the New Testament, I I think are rich with encouragement for us to embrace the church, to embrace the church gathered. To those, we are in a sense, those the world might say foolish enough to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ over the wisdom of this world. We are those who identify in this world as children of God. And so I believe we need community. We need each other. Uh, We need to, I think, at times challenge ourselves about how engaged are we within the community. I think about my own life. um, I would say the sense of Christian community is something that I grew up with. In my family, there was, I would say, a long heritage of faith. So my parents were believers. My grandparents were believers. My great-grandparents were believers. So when I grew up, even within my own family, our family gatherings were actually faith gatherings. And in a sense, I grew up surrounded by this belief that God existed. God existed through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died for my sins in order that I could inherit eternal life. And so that has surrounded me ever since I was born. And it's a heritage I value. And I think it's a heritage that I likely even underestimate its importance in my life. Recently, I spoke with a family, not from Creekside, so you don't have to try to figure out who I may be talking about. Spoke with a family about their daughter who in her teenage years was a very, how will we put it, strong-willed young lady. That if asked to go left, she would intentionally go right. She was a, a teenage girl, somewhat challenging, you might say the wise counsel of her Christian parents. In her later teens, she spent some time in, I know there was a fancy name for it, but I can't remember it. I'll call it a farm apprenticeship program where she left the comfort of her Christian home. She left the comfort of the church environment in which her family was involved and headed to a different province 
spent time living with a family and experiencing what life is like working on a farm. And she experienced some of that, but she also experienced firsthand a completely different world. That there existed outside of her family of faith and her church faith, people who were living a completely different life. People who did not acknowledge those things that we as Christian people would take for granted. And it was an incredible time in her life where she began to sort of reevaluate those things she grew up with, including her own faith. And her experiences of sort of life outside that community drew her actually back and embraced, she embraced faith in a way that she had never done before. I would say there are probably some of us within this church family for whom you might say your own immediate family is still sort of your go-to spiritual community. That uh, you have brothers and sisters and lots of other relationships that actually are within your own family. And I think you should give thanks for that. I think that's an incredible blessing. But I want to encourage us a little bit this morning, those of us who maybe live in that place where it's kind of like family, to consider extending that circle of influence, of stepping kind of outside intentionally, for the sake of the church of God. I thought about, uh, you know, last week and this week a little bit about those within our own church who are actually maybe thousands of miles away from family. What about those whose family's history is not a legacy of shared faith? What about those whose faith has maybe even severed family ties? That their identification with God, with the church, has actually caused to ostracize them from family. Who is called to support, to love, to encourage, to pray for those people? I think the New Testament would not simply suggest, I think the New Testament would absolutely declare that the church is called to be that family. That that is a mission we have, I'll call it, within the church. So I have just a few questions um, I'm going to leave us with, and they're as much to me as they are to anybody else. Question number one, who do you know who has either recently or maybe years ago 
distance themselves from the church. And I ask you even to think about that for a few seconds, and if you've got something to write with. If God brings a name into your mind, he does for me, jot it down. I mean, there are people who have distance for themselves from church. Some of them could probably give you very legitimate reasons. They say this happened, this happened, I backed away. So as I thought about this, I said, God, is it possible that you are calling us even within the church to be someone who can re-engage somebody that you know? It could even be somebody who used to be friends of yours. And I don't necessarily mean, well, you know, get them into church. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about get them in your home. Get them in your home, invite them for supper, and just visit. Could very well be that church may become part of that conversation down the road. But as I thought about the power that exists within the community of faith, I think we have the power within that to actually draw people back who have stepped away. Secondly, who do you know within the church who, I'll say, hangs out on the perimeter? It may be a person, maybe a family. And I would ask, do you actually notice those people? Do you look for them within the context of the church? They are there. And again, I would say if there's someone or a family that comes to your mind, I would say you might want to jot it down and ask God, is, are you asking me to do something very practical within the community of faith? Is hospitality a gift that you can extend? I know there are many people in this church who extend the gift of hospitality. I, I don't know if there's a much more significant gift that you can extend within the family of God. Um, I went through a process uh, last week where they kind of they, when I say they, I, I mean the MB conference, uh, asked me a lot of questions uh, within a process called credentialing. And uh, one of the things they asked me, so Doug, uh, if you look down the road five years, what are you doing? Where are you? And I said, well, I, I don't think I will be necessarily doing what I'm doing. It could be by that time that God has called some younger people to oversee and shepherd the flock. But I said, for me, I would say I think I would want to begin to open my home more to people within the church. 
get to know them, share meal, pray for each other. Uh, I think it's an undervalued gift. When you start talking about the gifts that God gives his church, I think that's one that's undervalued. Between now and Christmas, um, I'm going to just sort of throw this out there. And I think there is, I don't know if you can even read that. Fundamentally, hospitality is simply love in action. It has much more to do with the resources of a generous heart than with sufficiency of food or space. I kind of like that. But I want you to consider between now and Christmas, inviting into your home, uh, maybe it's somebody that came to your mind when I shared a few minutes ago about, you know, who do you know that's kind of a, living at a distance. Or it could be a neighbor, but somebody maybe who's never been in your home. If that seems like a terrifying idea, and I think to some people it actually is, I would say don't in any way, shape, or form feel pressured or guilted that somehow you're supposed to do that. I really believe that within the church of God, the gift of hospitality is something that God has given people. And I think sometimes you sort of need to try it out before you say, oh my goodness, maybe God has given this to us. I think the gift of hospitality is actually really a gift of encouragement. Um, it's kind of hard to encourage somebody you don't know or you've never spent any time with. It's, uh, I, I think encouragement and hospitality are pretty closely linked, and some might even argue that hospitality is not very far away from evangelism. That the gift of sharing faith with people is probably not too far away from the gift of sharing a meal and conversation. I want to end this morning with um, a passage from Romans. Um, you may say it's a bit of an odd passage to use, but some of it speaks to me, I would say, kind of at a personal level. It's talking to me individually. But the context of it is always, when I was reading it, it, it talks about us talks about that who we are and what we do as a church um, it's in kind of like Paul would say body language Romans 12 verses about 3 to 13 in his grace God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well so if God has given you the ability to prophesy speak out with as much faith as God has given you if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I found that one a bit funny. Shouldn't we all have that? Like some of us are excused from being kind? I, I don't think so. It just 
struck me as being a bit humorous. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. And this is kind of where it said, okay, now he's talking a bit more to me personally. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. And always be eager to practice hospitality. Um, if you kind of read through that or listened through that and say, no, not me, no, that's not me, no. You should probably read it again. Because uh, <laughs> I think there's some stuff in there that applies to every one of us within the church. 